You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Heart of Liberty Podcast. This is episode number 244 of East Centurion's favorite podcast. And uh, I say that knowing that Brian Nichols is in the room next to us nowadays. Yeah. But uh, but I have no shame. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I'm joined by co-host Mr. Dakota Davis and uh, executive video audio producer Zach Bertram. Professional button pusher. Today's episode is the start of our candidate series. Tonight we have Nancy Custer. She is running for the District 54 state representative position uh, here in Indiana. We're going to be talking to Nancy about all kinds of things, why she decided to run for office in the first place, what's important to her, but then getting into some issues such as education, economic development, land use, the roads, COVID-19, and then the food and beverage tax. Uh, Food and beverage tax is something we've covered a lot on the show, so if you want to hear about that, then make sure you stick around until the very end. This show is about our lives in rural Indiana. We're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals. Sometimes we'll provoke you. Other times... What do we do? Other, I've, I've, I've tried something new and it's gone horribly wrong. You yeah, can't read you through can't. the microphone, Stan. <laughs> I've only said this 200 times, but no, I have to read it. <laughs> Sometimes we'll provoke you. Other times we'll make you laugh. But hopefully you'll always learn something new. And you can already make fun of me. We just did 15 minutes with Dakota complaining about uh, his first world problems. Yes. Uh, for Patreon. And if you want to, if you want in on that action, boy, do we have a deal for you. That's right. To find out what kind of phone you need to not buy, then make sure you go to <laughs> patreon.com slash boss hog of liberty. Or you can go to boss hog of liberty dot com and click to the click the support now button. And uh, that will take you to our Patreon site. And that is where you can go to support the show every month if you enjoy what we do here. Those are the folks that uh, pay for the studio. Um, if you are in the club, then you get access to a Facebook group that is very exclusive. You get uh, show notes ahead of time so that you can see what we're going to talk about. You can follow along with us. Uh, make some notes if you want. Um, you'll, you'll get them two, maybe even three hours before the start of the show. Yeah, that's true. Which is the and, same time uh, we get them. You also, you know, sometimes get a little bonus stuff like some we've sent out stickers and postcards and uh, branded chapstick even um, all to those folks. And if you support at $50 or more a month, then you get a shout out at the front of every episode. Those folks are Miss Christy Avery from all the way in Fort Wayne, our favorite car dealer in the continental United States, Jonathan Phillips. And then Mr. Anthony Meyer, who is a, uh, a long haul trucker. I saw that he's in Montana right was, now. Was he in Spiceland protesting over the weekend or he was up in the upper Midwest still? I think that he was working. He's doing his job, hauling, hauling goods, keeping the country going, doing his thing. We also have a sponsor for the candidate series. We do. Uh, our sponsor this week is Wyland's Flowers in Newcastle, Indiana, and uh, th- that's where we've always gone. You know, they they bailed you out on Valentine's Day this year. They did. I I came back. I I took my wife on a wonderful seven day uh, Caribbean vacation, and then I got back home and it was Valentine's Day, and I realized that the, the the Caribbean vacation wasn't enough. I still needed to go to Wyland's to get some flowers. That's true. And at ten a.m., I sent uh, I sent them a little note and ordered something, and by four o'clock, they were they were at the house. 
on the holiday. That's that is coming in clutch. That is true. We appreciate the heck out of Wildlands Flowers. They are the best, uh, you know, florist in Newcastle, Indiana. I'm just going to say it. They're going to get my endorsement. <laughs> Congratulations, Wildlands Flowers. <laughs> very coveted, I guess. Who knew? Uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys. Uh, thank former, you for supporting former the Former Liber- Libertarian Party chairman's endorsement in a Republican primary. You've caught, <laughs> you've caught so much hell. I love it. There's nothing yeah. nothing but joy. I hope yeah. every one of them get a check out of you. Because uh, as, as, we're going to drag it out. We're going to have I'm, candidates from this race on three different nights. God, I'm not made of money. <laughs> well, Maybe if we had more Patreon members, I could afford that. Uh, but yeah, Wildlands Flowers are the best fl- forest in uh, Newcastle, Indiana. Make sure you go there, pick up some flowers for your significant other, even even if you're a woman and you want to buy your man some flowers. You know that's fine. Yeah, I I would appreciate some flowers. I don't think I, that's I don't an think official, I've ever gotten flowers. I don't think that's an official tagline of Wildlands, but we do say thank you very much to them. They have uh, they've supported us. I think this is the third time that the candidate series has been, uh, has been supported by by the Wildlands crowd. So yep. uh, we're very appreciative. We also have merchandiseteachip.com. Um, we're going to put Zach Birchman is going to put a link tree in the uh, in the live stream, and that's where you can go to find all of your Boss Hog of Liberty merchandise. All right. So, Nancy. Yes, sir. Um, we already we already talked about your phone, but now mm-hmm. we want to get to know you. Okay. I, I still want to know about her phone. You got a five six one number. Nine six nine. Nine six nine. That's like uh, early Rush County. Uh-huh. Is, is that a home number you transferred into uh-huh. a cell phone, or uh-huh. is it a? That would be from nine nineteen something ninety three. See, our our family all I, at the time I got my cell phone, and it, uh, and it was a a bag phone. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Two thousand and three. My whole my family. We all got cell phones in Rush County because we. I was a Rush County resident. I was in charge. I went to the little Verizon store on the north side of Rushville. Yeah. And we got f- four digits all all within within a click of each other. Mm-hmm. So we're all five six ones. Hmm. So, and and cell phone numbers are for life now. You've got it forever. It's not like if you move, you got to change it. You just poor Cheers Brian moved from Philadelphia, and he's never going to have a seven six five number. No, poor guy. He's a, he's got a three one five from Northern New York, actually. My dad has a nine six nine number. A bag phone. That's a, my first phone. Were you like? Bag. Did you have a really important? He's about ready to call you old. First, he's uh, not going to yeah, endorse you, and then this is going to get no, no, no. this is going to get How worse. Old are you? No, I was going to ask. Like <laughs> the only people that I know that have of that had bag phones, they're like uh, either they had a really important job, or they were just balling out of control, and they wanted to make sure everybody knew about it. I had a bag phone. Well, we I actually in my car, so um, having communications is a big deal. So not only did I have a two-way radio, I mean, our whole family, we use, use that being on the fire department for 37 years, you know, mm, so communication yeah. is key. So, yeah. And we kind of actually, at one point it was like a test. It was, it was not so much a bag phone. It was permanently mounted in the car, uh, like the phone. A car phone. Yeah. Yeah. A car phone. So I had a huh. car phone, I guess not a bag, a car phone. And and a two way radio that had you know all the fire frequencies and all the stuff in it. So when I responded, I was miscommunication right there on the spot. You had the whole the whole thing. Yeah. So let's Antenna. get let's get to know you a little bit. You, okay. Uh, Nancy Custer running for state representative district fifty four. Yes. Open seat for the first time since I was in high school. Yes. Um, it's district fifty four has included Rush County now for a, for a decade. Mm-hmm. So I assume you've gotten to know Representative Saunders over over that period of time. Well, actually, I mean I know Tom. Tom's great. Um, I live 20 feet from the Washington and center township line. 
So my actual representative was Cindy Zemke. Okay. Um, 25 feet on the other side. And you've of my just gotten house. drawn in. And I've gotten drawn in. So I actually used to be 55. Okay. So now I'm 54. So all these big changes, you've been, you've been rolled in. The, my, my district went from 55 to 54, and my age went from 54 to 55 <laughs> this year. So, yeah. All right. So let's, let's learn a little bit about you. What, what makes you tick? Why, why do you say, okay, I, I want to give up my, my luxurious life of farming and, and, and making fun of Dakota to I, now I'm gonna, I want to jump in and I want to be state representative. So just to kind of give you a little background, like you said, I mean, I grew up on a family farm, still live there, um, work there, also help with the family electric business, um, firefighter and EMT for um, volunteer department for 37 years, which kind of makes me a little scared to say that, but it's been a while. Um, I've always been involved in government and activities. I was the EMA director for Rush County from 2008 to, or 1998 to 2008. Um, Moved on from there after being recruited uh, during a, a disaster, a declared disaster. Um, got recruited by FEMA and the United States Department of Homeland Security. Um, took on that role. Now, we have a lot of libertarian listeners. And when they yes. hear that you were working for FEMA, Dakota, <laughs> what are they going to want to know? Uh, when the camps are coming. <laughs> You're good. It's all good. It's not, it's not, <laughs> a, it's him, not a real thing. I told eh? him, no, it, I told him, I, uh, we were talking before you got here, so... I actually got to go, I was hired on, and truthfully, they hired me mostly because I have a Class A CDL. I can drive semis, I can drive, you know, tankers and whatever, and doubles, and so that's really why I got the job, because they were were needing Class A CDL drivers. So I get out there, and I go to Washington, D.C. to headquarters, and, you know, it's all cool, great, I'm going to be a logistics management specialist. Okay. Well, they pull us in, and there's some other. Pro- there's multiple programs within DHS and FEMA, and, and so um, next thing you know, they decide that they need accountable property officers, which at the time they were using, and for anybody that was has been in the service and had to use uh, any kind of accounting procedures, they used the old limbs service that the military used to use. I mean, like from the Vietnam War. I mean, it was archaic. <laughs> But that's how we track our equipment. So I, I got the opportunity, uh, and, I mean, they literally walked into the room, and they're like, you, 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 and you, come with us. I'm like, okay. Um, go to your hotel, get your stuff. Um, you're going to Mount Weather for a month. I'm like, okay, what's Mount Weather? So for those of you who don't know, you need to Google Mount Weather and kind of check it out. It's pretty cool. So I got to go there and train. Um, it's a facility in Virginia. It is. It is a facility. So right, right over Google there by, it. The, by the CIA. Yeah, well, <laughs> Google it. Anyway, let's let's just say my my I had I had a little bit of security clearance, but mm, yeah, I didn't get to go too many levels down there. So all right. I was pretty much stuck on the ground. Didn't but get to see where all the I didn't I didn't get to go subsurface. Huh. Um but it's a very interesting facility. I did get to watch an evacuation. Um it was extremely interesting of how they evacuate the Supreme Court. So if there's a threat on Washington, you know, we have to evacuate our government leaders. And I got to watch a drill on that. And, man, that was impressive. Hmm. Um, you know, they simulate things. And depending on who's where as to what bunker everybody so, goes to. So if there was some sort of a small revolt in January, they know what to do with the oh, absolutely. leadership. Oh, absolutely. They go, Make sure they get they go different. They go, yeah, different yeah. directions. I mean, that's in our continuity of operations plan. All right. So it's very interesting. So – 
you have the experience with EMA and with FEMA, mm-hmm. uh, and now you're looking at at running for state rep. What's what's your motive? What's the motivating factor for you to say this is this is the right race for me, and this is the time I want to get involved? Um, I thought about it for a long time, and obviously, I respected Cindy in her position. I joked with her for years. When you're ready to retire, let me know. And um, and then we redistricted, right? And so. I had tossed the idea around and I've been active in working with legislator legislators for several years. You know, I've helped do work some legislation, get some things through, help do some stuff this year, suggesting things. Here's what we need. Here's what, here's a problem. And I'm not so much about creating new laws as I am about fixing existing ones that we have, or maybe even eliminating them. Right. So as I watched where our country's going and everything that's gone on, um, I'm a proud American. I mean, I'm running for a Hoosier office, but at the end of the day, we're all Americans. And I felt like I had watched our, our country has become so polarized, you know, that there is, there is no ability for people to have conversations anymore. And, and I had to laugh because when, when I was talking to you earlier today, I said, oh, don't worry, you'll be comfortable. And I thought he has no idea what he's getting into because I, I, I was on the phone till two o'clock last night talking because I will talk. I, I want to have these conversations. And I think that's something that's missing. Um, you know, everybody has an agenda, everybody. Um, and that's not a bad thing. But I think when there's a failure to communicate and you can't, you can't reach some kind of a good middle ground, and I, I feel like that's where we're at. So I want to be able to contribute to that and bring those, bring those pieces together. So what makes, what, what kind of issues were you working on this year, as an example, as you were working with uh, Representative? Zimke and with Representative Saunders. Actually, I was working, I, I approached Senator Lysing last year about this, but so, um, and this is going to sound weird, but I'm a Republican and I love pollinators. I care about the environment, right? So honeybees. Honeybees, butterflies. I raise, yep. okay, so I'm like the queen of milkweed and, I, and I'm and i like, the you know, Johnny Appleseed, I'm like Nancy Milkweed Seed and I collect <laughs> it and I go scatter it because, you, you know, monarchs are endangered. So anyway, but one of the you know issues we've had is the emerald ash borer, right? And mm-hmm. you guys see just driving the devastation that is caused. We've given and, up. Yes, yeah. we're at, we're fresh out of ash trees. Just and and even, and when you look at the landscape now, I mean we've we've probably lost a third of the trees in the state. I was the yeah. president of the Memorial Park Board at one point, uh, and we had at least fifty dead em- ash trees in one in one section of the park that we had to have taken down one summer. Yeah, absolutely, it's. Very so, significant. Yeah, yeah, I drive a lot of around a lot for work, and like I'll be driving down county roads, and you'll just see like an acre of trees that are just all dead. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see more. They look because they're breaking off mid right. mid tree. It looks like a tornado went through there. Yep. So anyway, one one of the things I brought up, and and it and again, this is this is listening to people and being on the ground and understanding, you know, what's happening, right? So one of the issues we have with agriculture, you know, drainage is important. These ash trees coming down, especially, you know, like my section is along a little blue. Okay. So I've got ash trees. The neighbors, we've all got these ash trees that are falling down into the river. Well, where I live, little blue is not navigable. And so between the Corps of Engineers, County Surveyor, you know, DNR. Nobody wants to deal with it. Can I, can I just, can I just take my tractor and, and pull that out? And, you know, and for farmers that maybe have an excavator, Right, that they can reach in and get it. That's great. You can do that. 
I don't have an excavator. What I need to do is back the rear end of the tractor down in there far enough so I can get down there, hook it up, use the three-point hitch, lift that butt into that tree up to drag it out. You can't do that. It's illegal. So meanwhile, we've got all these trees that are down everywhere causing flooding issues, right? So that, that was the thing that I talked to her about. I said, we need some common sense. You know, we're not, we're not disturbing. We're not digging up the bed. We're not, you know, tearing things up. We're not going to let, you know, if I've got, you know, you've got an oil leak, don't back down in the, in, the, in the creek to pull that tree out. But those kind of common, print, common sense Things, those are the kind of things I want to work on that, okay, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to come and, you know, item's not going to be on you. DNR is not going to be on you. You're not going to get a ticket. We're not going to impound your tractor. Kind of the same thing, you know, with the outlets on the tiles. A lot of the tiles go into our small rivers and streams. Over the years, those things silt up. They clog up, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, they clog up and then it blocks that tile and you can get no drainage. You ought to be able to go in there and dip that out. You're not, you know, you're not digging a gravel pit. You just need to get that silt out of there. Technically, you can be fined and it's illegal. Yeah, so it's those kind of common sense. You're to be a good steward of the land. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So these are conversations you've had with legislators or have you, have you seen them? Have you seen success yet? Uh, I actually haven't got to read what the final passage was on the, uh, on that, on that particular topic. It went in with the, um, gosh, Senate bill, um, I can't think what it was. It had to do with the, with the, with the soil and water in the committee. So okay. I, I I have not had a chance to see what. But it did get put into a bill and potentially yeah, they, is yes, come. they were working on that because because they understand and especially we're in this situation with Ashbor, we've got so many trees going down across the state that it is not practical to set. You know, I don't I can't hire somebody. So trying to do things like that that are common sense, thoughtful projects people can do. And, and be responsible stewards of their own property. So, you know, that's, that's an example of, of working with doing things like that. All right. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about education. Um, and uh, one of the big topics around education this year has been house bill 1134, which um, my sister and her boyfriend, uh, they're both public school teachers here in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I heard a lot about it, and that was supposed to be addressing critical race theory in schools. It didn't make it past the Senate, but, you know, just like, you know, like we saw with constitutional carry, sometimes bills and topics can get reintroduced year after year after year and chip away until they finally do make it law. So I want to ask your thoughts on about that specific piece of legislation, but then also just education in general. And what you think the legislature's role is in education? So I'll uh, I'll give a little heads up here. You may have to cut me off on this one, and I'm also <laughs> okay. going to issue a disclaimer. So um, many people may or may not know. You know, obviously, school choice is big, um, has been big. I do not have an education background, um, and yet. In 2015, when our local school corporation um, decided to close our local school, um, the Mays, the Mays Elementary, Mays Elementary at the time, um, a group of community members got together, and you know, because when you lose your school, you lose you lose your community. I mean, the community slowly dies. Um, 
So we got together and we, you know, we worked with Rush County. When you, when you lose the the school, you lose the park restaurant eventually. And exactly. Then it, and then all hell goes. Uh, oh, and it, see, yeah. and I, I forgot to tell you, yeah. I used to own that restaurant. So see, so there, I mean, there you go. Yeah, oh, small right. business owner. Right. I love to cook. I can. I, I forgot to bring food for you. I will. I, you have me <laughs> back next time. I will bring <laughs> <I love> food. <laughs> um, but anyway, so so we as a community, and it wasn't anything against the school corporation. It was, it was our local community, and what can we do, right? I didn't know what a charter school was. None of us did. And people started throwing out that, well, you can start a charter school. Okay, what is that? And that school really originated from conversations with educators because I'm like, we were like, why do we want to start a school? You know, Rush County's got great schools. But we started talking to parents. We started talking to teachers. And we started understanding the options we could have as a charter school. And, you know, it wasn't that anything was wrong with the current system or the current schools, but there was a need for something different. And educators needed more freedom, needed to be able to teach again. Um, there's, so, there's not a one-size-fits-all education approach, correct. so it, it gives them a workspace. Correct. So, you know, just straight up front and honest, you know, yeah, I'm, I founded a charter school. I am currently the president of the board of a charter school. Um, and I believe in them and I believe in public education. I believe that we need to find the best ways that kids learn. Um, you know, and, and that's really a topic. I, I, my main focus right now is what, what I have learned because, you know, I was made fun of because, well, she's not an educator. What's she doing? But you know, sometimes, and this kind of applies to the legislative process as well. Sometimes you need somebody who maybe isn't an expert to walk in and take a look and go, yeah, that kind of needs to be some changes made there. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We just you just see that everywhere. It's not just specific to you know schooling or in government. It's it's literally every. You just get so used to things if you're looking yes. at even it can be as simple as I may have a problem or am trying to figure out how to organize something. And I've been working, racking my brain on it for three hours, can't figure it out. And then you have like Jeremiah comes along and then get a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. You get a fresh set of eyes and you have an answer in 15 minutes. You know, yep, yep. it's, I think that it, I think that that's a good point that you bring up. Um, it's just like working on a problem can, and setting it down and then coming back two or three days later and you can yeah, solve it exactly. immediately. Yeah. Sometimes that, that is what you need. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that that's, I don't want to say like, oh, we need to get rid of experts in the in these fields. No, no, it's that's just not like what I'm saying at all. Yeah, you know, sometimes the experts need someone who's not so seeped into the institutional knowledge that that's all that they deal with. Mm-hmm. So, what role should the state <clears throat> be having when it comes to setting curriculum? Is that a school board decision? Is that a parents decision is that the, the you know the, well, the state here's, legislature here's, here's where, where do you come down and, and one of the things with this particular legislation obviously the state and the state doe you know they set the standards you know schools adopt curriculum they teach the standards um one of the things that called for in that bill was these parent committees okay mm-hmm. so i think it was a 60 percent of the committee must be made up of parents and the others teachers well curriculum adoption okay you you can have a school team, administrators, teachers, working on that an entire summer. I mean, it's this isn't like two meetings at a, at a bake sale, right? And 
I think it comes down to, I understand why people were upset about some of the curriculum they thought that was being presented or is being presented. But the bottom line is when you're looking at curriculum, it's not just about taking a book and and saying, here's how we teach little Susie to read. Okay. And yes, I approve of that sentence and I approve of this picture in the book. Let's use this book because that book, the methodology that's used throughout the curriculum may not be what's what that educator or the educators think is best. So then you're going to get this constant fight. If, if this had gone through, you're going to have people that say, I want you to use this book because it has the pretty color pictures in it. And I like these and I approve of these. And then you're going to have educators over here saying, but this teaches it better. This allows us to instruct better in black and white pictures of these things. And I think that's where this specific bill and, and, and the, the requirements that they were wanting to put in that, I think that's where it makes a mess because there are concerns and there are issues, but at the end of the day, there are there are two groups that that from what I see now in my vast six six seven years of educational experience, there are two groups that have been hurt over the last two decades, and that's teachers and our children. So as a lawmaker, we test the kids too much. We require way too much of the teachers. I, you look at the lessons that COVID has taught us. Okay, and, and, and you can pick a topic and, and you can have a lesson. Our teachers spend all day with other people's children. And if it was a perfect world and teachers could walk into class with the approved curriculum that was set for a year that didn't have to be changed, that had been gone over, read by parents, you know, all the things. Teachers don't walk into a classroom and class begins at 815 and the children sit there and learn politely. And then, you know, they go to recess, they come back, they go to lunch, they come back. I think there's this misconception. Well, they've got the kids for eight hours a day and why aren't they doing better? No, they don't. They yeah. do not have uninterrupted lesson. You know, they don't have uninterrupted time. They're small children, you know, run a kindergarten class, run it, running. It's hurting cats. Just it's, to go to the bathroom. It's amazing how much people forget about what school is like. Yeah. So, you know, you and I, you know, we go to work. If you're going to work and you sit at your desk, you're going to sit at your desk at eight hours, type away. You're going to get your job done. You, you, you may or may not have distractions. Their entire existence. Their is entire existence is distractions. <laughs> and my nose is running and, and I'm upset. And when you talk about CRT and then the SEL. Yeah. You define, do you, what is SEL? What's social emotional learning? It's, it's so it just it's just like with critical race theory. It's like it, one of those things where you look up a definition, you try mm-hmm. to find a definition online, and you'll get thirty different answers. So in education, when you talk about social emotional learning, Nancy brought a binder, Dakota. I did because I'm I old like and I can't remember, <laughs> but I know where to look all this stuff up. And <clears throat> and it's publicly available. So if you have a real, if you really have a question about what SEL is. It's already available online to look up. Yeah. So just you can for already instance, find all this stuff on the on the state website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, SEL as part of the Indiana Employability Skills Standards. Okay, from kindergarten through twelfth grade. Here's here's your here's your SEL for kindergarten. You teach them to recognize and manage one's emotions. 
<laughs> demonstrate and number two, demonstrate the ability to network with others through social awareness and cultural sensitivity for five-year-olds five-year-olds yeah, nice okay which means become aware of socially acceptable behavior with the support of an adult educator and you know that's that's for five-year-olds that's like that's don't pick don't your nose and eat your boogers at the dinner table right yeah, right yeah. don't hit them don't don't yeah hands off don't hit, don't hit people. Don't break their things, which is the same thing I ask for from the government, really. Yeah. You know, collaboration. Yeah. Work well with others in a team. So you teach them to work responsibly as, as a group. That's social-emotional learning. And all those skills that we learn early on carry on through our adult lives. Mm-hmm. So, again, you're right. You can look up SEL and you get all kinds of definitions. But in Indiana education, they're, they're clearly – the expectation is clearly written. So are you satisfied with the outcome? From, yes. From the, that, I, that fu- this... I, I did not want that bill to be passed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. And one I, thing I, that I liked hearing you say uh, with regards to like the parent and, and teacher committees is like producer Zach brought this up whenever we talked about it on the show uh, the first time. He's like, Zach was like, the, we have a, a PTA at every school and no one gets involved already. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yes. Like teachers are already required or schools, not teachers. Schools are already required by law to have the curriculum for that semester published somewhere. Like it doesn't have to be online, but it can be like you call the office and ask for it and they give it to you. Yeah. You can go into a public school and at public schools are public schools, charter schools, I know there's an argument they're not. We are a public school. You can walk into our school just like you walk into any other public school. You can ask for that information, and we will freely give it. I will. It's as, a weird as, bill. As a word of caution to any to any legislators, I we spend a whole lot of money. State, you know, the state universities, Ball State University, Indiana University, where we have public funds that go into the education of new teachers mm-hmm. and you have the system that we have set up right now. Your young new teachers don't make it. I'm married to one. She, she lasted three years as a public school teacher and now she's in, in medical pharmaceutical sales, recruiting, uh, staffing, staffing that stuff. Well, uh, it's just, <laughs> we invest as a, as a state into producing new teachers and then they get it put into a situation that doesn't work. And then, and then you lose them and they go do something else. There's only so much time in a day. And the more regulations and the more, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to teach the kids. uh, They have to, you know, uh, patriotic stuff, all the things that they toss in there. Those teachers only have so many hours in a day. Okay. They have to be able to focus on, on, you know, math skills, reading skills. You know, we throw so much at them that it isn't, it, it is impossible for them to achieve what they need to achieve. And then, you know, then we're rating those teachers because the kids, you know, they're not maybe performing where, where, where lawmakers or the state thinks they need to be, but we're not giving teachers the ability to spend the time to let the kids master something. Mm-hmm. Everything's shoved through. And it's a weird, it's a whole weird thing about what that does to kids too. Because if you're not, if you're not a good, you know, stereotypical student, right, then, then, that just will lead a kid to think that they're destined to be a loser. Mm-hmm. Like, I, oh, I, I, you know, I could not sit still in classes. I, I hated just going to like regular school. Mm-hmm. As soon as I could, as soon as I found building trades, it was like a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Found your special it, purpose, yeah. Dakota. Because it's hands-on and you could move around exactly. and you wouldn't feel trapped in a classroom. Yes. But it was weird because I can remember being, you know, younger and, and being like, I like feeling like I was just destined to not do well in life mm-hmm. because I I didn't fit the mold. And yeah, so that's just, and I think that if we continue to ramp up standardized testing and we continue to just try to make teachers make kids fit into these boxes and you're going to create more of those problems. The best I, thing, the I, best I thing you like can do, bill. we have to let teachers teach. And I, I have said, I have said this hundred times. It seems like there is not a teacher standing in the front of a classroom right now in the state of Indiana that is doing it for the money. And everybody says, Oh, yeah. teachers need to get paid more. And they do, they do. But you know what? If they were if they were concerned about the money, they'd have quit a long time ago. Teachers are passionate about education. They just want to be able to teach. And it seems like state government keeps tying their hands and throwing more on them. And that has to stop. Yeah. That's an excellent point for us to transition from uh, from education into our next next topic. Because we have a lot of stuff we want to get through, and I could we could keep you here for four hours, Nancy, and I'm sure you'd stay, but Dakota would panic on me after two and run out the door. We can uh, talk about education for another two <laughs> hours, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Economic development uh, is a big deal for the uh, for the state of Indiana and for and for East Central Indiana. Um, what role do you think the the state representative should play in in local economic development? So for District Fifty Four, helping to fill the industrial park in Rush County, helping to to bring new jobs or better paying jobs into into the district. Well, I think it. I think that as a state lawmaker, you know, you can help and you can assist in those things, but it definitely has to be a collaboration. It has to be. What does local community want? What what kind of industry do we want to bring in? What we, are we? We don't know us? that we want anything. It was good enough in 1972. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> we hear that a lot around here. Okay. Yeah. Bring Chrysler back. Can you do that? Yeah. Put us down for one of those. Yeah. One well, of yeah, those. Like one of the one of the things I thought about with economic development is you keep hearing about like Intel bringing jobs back from overseas to create chips because of the chip shortage. Mm -hmm. Like we all, we saw all kinds of things happening in industry. And I think that we're going to see more of it happen because of the lessons that we were taught over the past two years Mm -hmm. with the supply chain. So it's like what we obviously, um, all representatives and the state government is trying to make Indiana, like a marketable place. We want ourselves to look good, but it's like one of the questions I had for you is like, what kind of, what kind of industry do you think um, we could try to focus to bring here? Like what, what do you think we could do? I don't, cause I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Okay. Answer. When you talk about economic development, are you talking about improving your tax base so that your County is is fiscally sound and 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 has a great budget and 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 that kind of thing is that is it, so so if you want to stay in seventy two you can't stay back in nineteen seventy two because you're going to reach a point if your assessed evaluation has gone down your tax base is going down there's there's that road that block you're going to hit we can't pay for your emergency services we exactly can't, we can't pay for your sheriff's department exactly we can't cover your fire and you'll have people who'll be like I don't need a sheriff okay well well you kind of do <laughs> and other people do. So to me, that's a service that My the government has never been on fire. 
<laughs> oh, you should have not said that. <laughs> That's a big mistake. That was That's a big mistake. <laughs> I'm an electrician. I do it all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the guy who built it and said, Dakota, on their show, you've made a lot of enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you just the experience that I have. And, like, you know, I, I served on a, the, the, community planning committee that's working right now in Rush County, you know, and that's a good project. They're working on the community center, but everybody's got to be on, I guess, getting everybody together on the same page. And what direction do you want to go? And you're always going to have different opinions, but at the end of the day, you have to find that common ground. We do have a big dog food factory coming to Rush County. We do. We do. We do. So, you know, and that's great. Um, but you have to look at all of, it's not just economic development. Do you have the people here to provide the employees? Okay. Where are they going to live? Where are they going to live, right? And, I mean, I think that's a big thing. Single-family housing, you know, people, you know, wages are coming up. They, you know, so you get somebody that wants to come in, start a family. They want a single-family house. They don't want an apartment. They don't want a rental. And they don't want a fixer-upper. So it's how are you doing housing development? How you know, And that I guess that's what's not the easy question to answer about what goes on in government, regardless of what layer you're talking about. Because everything, the tentacles go out, and it really it affects everything in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that one part of economic development that's, like, overlooked a lot is <clears throat> it's, you can't just be like, oh, we just, want, we just want a factory. Whatever factory it is, mm-hmm. we want it here. We just want a job here. Yeah. Because it's, it's more than just... You don't want your whole populace to just live a soul-sucking existence. It's got to be a good job. And I think that in the state legislature, I think that in government positions, it takes a a certain type of leadership to talk with multinational corporations that are looking at the state of Indiana and being just being real. Like, what kind of job are you thinking about bringing to Indiana? Are you going to be bringing a job that is good for my citizens, or you are, or do you think that we are a, you know, a rust bucket state, a rust belt state that you can take advantage of? Well, and you know, and depending on what the industry is, I mean, you know, take advantage of by we're going to come in here, we're going to get a tax abatement, and we're not really going to help contribute to your community. You know, we're going to get a huge yeah. tax abatement where we're employing like ten people. Yeah. Right. So and we're going to pay him nine. We're going to put all this equipment in, but we're not going to, we're not going to really pay. You're not going to get much of a benefit. Bingo. That. You're not going to get any benefit from it. So, and then if you have anything bad to say about it, then we're just going to pack up and move to the next place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, that's where you have to come to be able to work as a community and say, okay, this, you know, cause somebody's going to have this goal and somebody's going to have this goal and you've got to find that common middle ground because, okay, let's say I can, I can bring Chrysler back. Let's talk about when Chrysler was here. You know, you drive through town now, and and back in the heyday, right, people were earning a good wage. You know, families had houses. They were, you know, what this town used to be when people had good jobs, had single-family housing. You know, it it brought stores, small businesses opened. It was good for your schools. It was good for your churches. And the more that we, you know, we lose those things, we're not replacing them. So you're, you're getting these ghost towns. Mm-hmm. And... When you talk about the economic development portion, it has to be a whole package. It has to be. You you can build a factory out here. It's going to employ a thousand people. Do you have the thousand people? 
Okay, you've got a thousand people that just got off the exit at State Road Three, and they're they're lining State Road Three into Newcastle. Where are they going to live? And and so it has to be a multifaceted. Where are they, they going to live? Where are they going to work? Where are they going to play? What parks do you have? Yeah. What do they have to keep them here? Amenities. Do you have a do you have a community that's walkable? All all of that I think all goes in, goes into the conversation, right? Yes. So, getting to that magical utopia of of, of a fully functioning economic development system and everything's humming great and things are things are well. Um, we have to work through the land use discussion mm-hmm. and we have had a brother against brother, sister against sister fight over how we're going to live together There's a in our community. There's a windmill on our logo for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dealing, dealing with, uh, dealing with wind, dealing with solar. Uh, we've had, had issues with asphalt plants trying to locate in the community and not being able to get approved. Uh, just simple rezones of some of of property has has been very controversial uh, to do anything light industrial. There are there are many opinions in the in the community and in the district, and I know that there's been some some history of the state getting involved in land use, and then we saw this with some bills that were authored in the last two years of the general assembly. Where would you come down? What's the state's role? Is it the county's responsibility? Local boards? Who who should be deciding how we live together? What we do? So again, full disclosure number two. Um, my brother, my sister, and I own a hundred and sixty acre farm that was going to get a wind farm on it. My name is on a wind farm lease for one. That big big dollars one windmill. Oh, I, yeah, and divided by the three of us siblings. That was good. Like, we were making bank. I'm yeah, just saying. Like, that's like 3500 bucks. You were going to. Uh, that's that's Lexus money. On. That's yeah. Lexus money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably so, a 96, but that's Lexus money. Yeah. So, you know, for Pre, full disclosure, because I, I know that's out there. Oh, she's pro wind. And I'm, I'm really not pro wind. And yes, I did have a lease. But I will tell you, in learning and looking at, especially where we are as a nation right now, and, you know, we've got big solar farms going in. Okay, and there's that discussion on, on you know, oh, my God, we're taking up this farm ground. And at the end of the day, did I, have a, did I have a lease to have a windmill? Yes, I did. Okay, I was part of that project. But at the end of the day, local control went out, right? The decision was made. Rush County put a moratorium on, yes. sol- on wind projects. Yes, right? yes. And like... Made the setback, they, they, the zoning change that they moved the setbacks, you know, and those are by people who are on. I mean, that's that's how our government works. You know, you win some, you lose some. And so, so from your from your viewpoint, is it going in and potentially being the District Fifty Four representative next next session? You wouldn't support a bill that would remove that local control. No. You would say that you went if the if Rush County, Henry County, Shelby County, Hancock County says we're not doing solar, we're not doing wind. That's their, that's their it's your, decision. It's your baby. It's yeah. your, it's like we were talking earlier about township government. There's been talk of doing away with township government. And I don't want to do that. That's the government that's closest to the people. And they'll be like, oh, it's not effective. And, oh, we can't get, get people to run. And I guess that's one thing that hit, I have really been so astounded by as I've, as I've been pursuing this. People don't understand how our government works. If you look at somebody and go, who's on your advisory board for your township? They're like, well, I don't know. We've, we've, we've really dropped the ball as citizens. We have. We live in a bubble. We have a great life. So, you know, I want we township government to stay. We pay attention to the president and the governor, and 
that's about it. Yes, yes, yes. So because that's yeah, all that's on TV. Local, absolute local control. You know, if 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 Rush County's boards decide they want windmills or don't want windmills, or they want to build dog food factories or not build, again, there's always winners or losers. But ultimately, as long as it is done with local control and the voices of the citizens who live in the communities, then that 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 that's what I'll support and only Lo- what I'll support. Local planning commission, local, local planning. zoning administrators, local county commissioners. Because are, and you it, know and honestly, to them. you know there's 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 good and bad to that. But my hope is that you know I know this has been a horrendous fight over over wind and solar. You've seen a complete turnover of county government in Henry County yes. in the last four years. Yes, total and complete. Well, and and you know when when I when I talked about doing this, they're like. Oh, they, oh, they'll work hard. You won't get it. You won't get, you know, you were on that lease. And I'm like, but the government worked like it was supposed to our, our local control lurk, you know? So again, it's working. I hope that things, the bad part of that was that got really ugly. The yeah. good part is how many citizens became engaged in the process? Yeah. A bunch. A whole bunch. And they need to stay engaged. Got a lot of new folks that have a lot of new responsibilities. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk about... One thing we kept hearing about windmills is that they're going to tear the roads up. (laughs) So, you're in the state legislature. How are you going to fix my potholes? Yeah. How are you going to... We got all kinds of money for the state for the state roads. They are fl- Indot is flush with cash. Mm -hmm. But I I know that uh, Joe Copeland and Joe Wiley are, are... our last two highway engineers here uh, and, and probably Jerry sitting down in around rush County as well. I assume Jerry's still in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tell us that we have about 800 miles of County road and they don't have enough money to pay for those 800 miles of road and 200 and some bridges that are in the County inventory. How's how does the, how does that look from the state side? I think from the state side, um, you know, and I, I was look, reading through a couple of days ago. It's like a 572 page in dot study on on projects and bridge projects and obviously you know the funding separate from that but we do have we do have some issues with being able to get the funding and getting additional funding because our infrastructure is is a mess and it's not just roads and bridges it's sewer and water i mean yeah. you know i mean fire hydrants how many how many times do you go i i went i went by somewhere the other day and a fire hydrant hydrant had heaved out of the ground for whatever reason so i don't know if it had a water hammer you know i but, you know, all that, all that infrastructure, you know, that has to be fixed. And that's the thing where, you know, with our federal government, instead of giving money for projects that maybe aren't necessarily uh, would not benefit people as much, you know, if we're going to work on infrastructure, then let's truly work on infrastructure. But that's not what happens. And so as far as finding tax dollars to do that or additional funds for your county highway, it becomes a real issue. Yeah. Yeah, we see a lot of different things buried in the infrastructure bills that have gotten passed, like the the Build Back Better bill that President Biden was trying to pass. And then even in Trump's infrastructure bill, there was a lot of stuff that gets buried in there. And it's like, what's this got to do with infrastructure? Mm-hmm. It's like, this, but it's weird, like the federal government is so screwed up because they, like they word it that way, because if like, you're against building back better, what? Mm-hmm. We have a city councilman here who has uh, who has made it his. Uh, we call it the Jerry Walden project. Now he he's yeah. he. It's in the Henry County Master Plan or in the uh, 
comprehensive the comprehensive plan, plan for, for the county and the city councilman here in Newcastle, Jerry Walden, has been advocating to have State Road 3 get an interchange so that Newcastle has a second interchange on the I-70. 103. Did I, what I, three. Oh, I said 3. Yeah, one, I'm sorry, Highway 103, uh, just uh, just to the east of, uh, of State Road 3, a few miles. Um, is that the something? One, the one, 103? Highway 103, yes. So you got... You've New got Lisbon, New you've Lisbon, got three, yeah, okay. yep, and then uh, 109, mm-hmm, which is Knightstown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's been advocating for 103. And this is a councilman? City councilman, yeah. Okay. And then it's in the comprehensive plan for Henry County as well, saying that that's a future development opportunity. Uh, any thoughts on the state, on supporting something like that from the state side or, a, you know, a, additional roads or infrastructure to tie the community tie the communities together, whether it's an interchange at 103 or doing something up in Middletown off of 69 w- ways to create additional economic activity through, uh, through road investments. Well, I think that number one, and I'm not familiar with the master plan. So obviously getting to know what projects you're looking at. So if you're going to build a total new interchange, what are you planning to do around that interchange? Yeah, there's nothing there. So are you, is that a redevelop redevelopment area? What, what what's going park? on? Uh, well, it, I mean, there's a, essentially you have, essentially you have a, uh, essentially you have a corridor in the, uh, the three County roads that run between state road three and -hmm. state road one Oh three. And that's where you're starting to find the light industrial and, Mm -hmm. uh, in warehousing activities. So the intention would be that you would be creating an opportunity to, to get traffic out of Spison and off of three, and and having them start to utilize the 103 side. Where it's much more rural. Yeah. I mean, get traffic out of Spiceland and off of State Road 3 and have them go to Louisville up 40 and then up? No, they'd be coming from the north. So you, you have, you've got... Uh, like like Crown, when they leave Newcastle, now if they want to go east, they would drop down to 3, which is kind of the wrong way a little bit, and mm-hmm. then go to 3. Instead, they could just turn... They're on 103. They could just take 103 out to 70 and not have to go. It's a... It'd be a more efficient route for some of those places if they're shipping something east than going yeah, on Yeah, that three. is true, for sure. Well, and I think, you know, the criteria for that in a long-term planning, it, I mean, if the county's wanting to develop something out there, obviously you can approach INTAT or INDOT to be able to to work a project like that. But I think, it in you know, from being a good fiscal point with the state, I mean, I don't know how many millions of dollars it would take to put in you know, uh, my gut feel would be fifteen to twenty million dollars to add an interchange somewhere in that range. So you know, I mean, I think to me, I as a you know, if I'm looking at that, if 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 you're asking the state in dot to put in that interchange, you know, I want I want to see what are you what are you going to do out there? I mean, really, what are you going to do? Do you have people that are ready to develop? You know, I, that's a huge amount of state money to just throw a big construction project like that in on the hopes that something happens. Yeah. Let's get uh, 73 lanes both ways all the way to Ohio first. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming in the next couple of years. And that's, that, that I think that's the timing that would be important there. But when, again, it, if, if Henry County, I mean, if the Henry County citizens and the Henry County leaders, you know, I will support whatever you're trying to do. But the thing is, you've got to also give me the tools to support you because I can't go to NDOT and say, hey, we, we really want to build a $10 million interchange out here, you know, not just because Jeremiah and Dakota say so, but because we've got two factories coming in. We've got some leisure and entertainment stuff going, you know, something. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. And you've also got the, uh, the, and we'll, we'll get into the food and beverage tax in a minute, but there is also a, uh, a proposed $16 million, um, youth sports facility that's proposed to go onto County Road 300 South. What so, kind of sports? Uh, uh, baseball, softball, basketball, wrestling, youth sports, tennis, volleyball. It's a huge complex. Um, we also, one thing that we were talking about with some friends this week was it was brought up. Um, in 2008, the General Assembly voted to pause the state gas taxes due to the extremely high gas prices that we, or fuel prices that we were seeing across the state of Indiana. Um, that was whenever they reached $4 a gallon back then. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that or if you would support an action to do that again because they've gone up significantly since then. I believe just as the General Assembly was closing, the Democrat side had said hey let's pause the gas tax until july because of the inflated prices well, and i mean obviously we can't do it now session's over right right yeah so although i think o'bannon might have done it himself i, I he may hey, have been done know, it do by executive, executive order. order pins i yeah. i do i am aware of that we i i don't know if we can do that but that would be something good to find out yeah um i think the thing too on the gas tax in the current situation we're in you know so i'll i'll take you guys down rabbit holes all day <laughs> when you're when you are looking at okay the current national situation you know we've been importing 671,000 barrels of oil from Russia that's cut off you know as a country now we're going to buy oil from Venezuela Iran and Emirate area em- UAE yeah. UAE yeah okay so you know for those people and yeah hey I'm all for America being energy independent that's what needs to happen um but we can't restart that on a dime. We are going to have these gas prices. And well, I, 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 I at least until fall, I, I about bet you. Because mm. you can't, you know, people say do the Keystone, the Keystone pipeline, pipeline project. You know, it's not like that thing was done and we can go turn the spigot on and oil's flowing. It's not even completed. So that's a construction project. Yep. Yeah. And the, it was, it was the, midstream. The Trans Canada company said that they wouldn't do it anyway. They're, well, no, they got the, done. they got, the, they, they had invested in the thing and the rug yeah. got ripped out from underneath. Exactly. Them. And that's something that, you know, we can't do. Right. So, yeah. And I, I think that this is just, this is me not being unbiased, but it, if you were to pause a gas tax for a short period mm-hmm. of time, it's, it's much like student loan relief. At some point you have to turn it back on. Yes. So yes. if you're going to continue with the projects you have uh, to what end, right? Yes, you could provide relief for 30 days, but does but that get, that, but yeah. the, where does that leave you or does it get you other than unplugging a bunch of other projects that you had funded where you were going to, where you were going to reduce state road? Mm-hmm. That's just because uh, you state work road three road or I-70. construction. Uh, yeah, it's a, we have, uh, some of us have firsthand knowledge of the way, of the way, it, <laughs> the way it's going to work. Well, and you know, from when you look at it from the human side of things, so, okay, yeah, I'm for, I'm for, let's do a 30 day moratorium on gas tax. Sure. It's great okay, for 30 that, days. That's great for 30 days. You know, so you got people grumbling back. about it now. Then they're going to go back to cheaper gas. Then you're going to go back. Okay, that moratorium's over. You absorb it back into your lifestyle, and then watch for the day that they have to start making student loan payments again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because we haven't mm-hmm. had that for, since for for nearly two years, mm-hmm. and folks have found other ways to spend that money, and they haven't necessarily paid it down. The same, it, something very similar is going to happen if we were to suspend gas tax. Yep. Yep. Um, 
City Councilman Mike Guffey, also a Newcastle City Councilman. We're up to two city councilmen weighing in uh, so far in this. He's also supportive of the interchange. So you've got got a lot of folks to talk to, Nancy. Um, <laughs> well, and again, uh, you know, learn it's, these it's, Newcastle it's, issues. It's, it's it, yeah, it's it's a learning curve, but you know, also, I mean, I'll fight for you guys. I'll fight for the district, but you got to give me something to fight with, right? So, yeah, you know, these guys, you know, if we're working to promote this project, then. Again, you know, I'm all about data and I'm all about, you know, I will fight for you, but you got to give me. It doesn't make sense to build the interchange to get people to invest here. We need to get people to invest here. And that is the reason we build the interchange. A good example is the interchange that was built down in, uh, down in the Greensburg area. They had an interchange that came in when Honda was announced, right? Mm -hmm. So as, as a portion of the Honda project, when that, when that was announced and built, uh, Indot within a year had had a new interchange built that went straight into that factory. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great observation. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about the the topic that has been the bane of our existence for the last two years on this show and in the world, and that's that's COVID. Uh, the General Assembly and the uh, the executive branch, the governor, have had a uh, have have had a power struggle over the last couple of years. Uh, when the General Assembly is not in in place, the governors and Governor runs the state, uh, and we've had, I don't know what the final number of executive orders was, but I think it was in the 20s of continuing to declare re- declare and redeclare the emergency order. Um, are you supportive of the authority? Uh, should there be changes? Have you, have you spent some time thinking about this and formulating an idea? Because I'd imagine running for this office, somebody's asked you a time or two. She's flipping I, through her binder. She's got it. I can see. I can see the outline. I'm very familiar with these what do these executive orders look like, and she's got something highlighted. So, first of all, the emergency site, the emergency management background. The governor has to have the ability to declare an emergency. They have to for the safety of the citizens. Our governor has to have that sole authority. You don't want to take that away. No. You don't want to no. have to call a special session to be able to to deal with something. Hang on. Given what has happened with COVID and the different things that have happened, I think that a lot of the ill feelings that we have and, you know, I I hear different versions of, you know, the governor would talk to us, the governor didn't talk to us. Um, when we get in, in, in a real, you know, if, if, if we get hit by a massive tornado outbreak, the governor can, can declare a state of emergency. They need that power, okay? Get into something like COVID where we are, you know, a, an emergent, a natural disaster is, is specific. So maybe let's say that affected Rush and Shelby and Hancock and Henry counties didn't affect the whole state. I think we have to, and you also have to remember this is in the constitution, right? On who can call the general assembly. And, you know, there's, there's, there's some big pieces to this, this puzzle. And I think it needs to be looked at because I can see through COVID that Someone having the sole discretion without calling in the representatives of the people at some point. So if that point's 60 days, you know, I don't know what that magic number is. But I think we got to a point where there was so much animosity and power struggles. And then the citizens, you know, they just, nobody knew what to do. I mean, COVID, like I said, COVID has taught us so many lessons. So you can't just walk in and say, by God, the governor cannot have the authority to do that because they need the authority to do that in an emergency. 
However, maybe we need to constitutionally do something, change some things around so that, you know, at least they're calling in maybe even, a, a you know, the leaders of both part, you know, both houses, minority and majority to get to get a perspective. What happens if there's a third or a fourth party? And are you going to constitutionally come, you discriminate to, against us? We will not discriminate <laughs> How against you. How dare you, Nancy? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know about a fourth party. Any, anybody, anybody, anybody can come play. But you know, I mean, it, I mean, it is. I think, I think it is. It is. It is time for the after action report, right? It's time to go through what worked and what didn't, and not judge it on emotion, but judge it in a true sense of how can we do this better next time. And it may require some constitutional changes. You know, that's not an easy thing. You can't just wave a magic wand. I think it will be really bad if we don't take this opportunity to learn from what happened, and and how we could do it better. So. All right. I think that's a thoughtful response. I appreciate that. And maybe maybe the answer is 60 days, right? Maybe the governor can say you have 60 days and the Constitution says that it has to be reauthorized by the General Assembly. And that gives them time. To you know, and I mean, it could it say he, the, that was, the, he has 60 days and then if it needs reauthorization, OK, um, then he has then the governor has to call a special session. Yeah. But, you know, the voice of the people has to be heard because that was the biggest thing with COVID, you know, what business is essential and what business is not as as popular as the libertarian party is and has become you saw the dissension amongst the citizens of the state of indiana with the, the vote totals don rainwater received in the governor i race. did yep and and that should be a wake up call hmm. that was a shot across the bow is yeah, exactly sure. what that was all right <laughs> is my is my personal that was yep. a shot across the bow I, it, it should it be it should be something that gets the attention of uh, of the folks that are serving. Yes. Um, all right. Let's let's talk about uh, a, an issue that we've we've been covering as uh, as this bill has been making its way through yeah, the we've general been assembly. This horse a lot. Dakota, take the reins of the horse. Food and beverage tax. Um, we've talked about this and everything that was going on um, in Henry County. If you want to get a good update on that, actually, um, you can go to Grow in Henry. Is it dot org? That's the Henry Con- the Henry County, Indiana Economic Development Corporation's website. Um, they have a really good little article, press release. Um, our friend Corey put out that had all of the recommendations that were that were sent over from the board. Um, it was really good, um, very concise, well put together. Um, anyway, back to this. The counties in Indiana right now have the ability to place a one percent tax on like certain, go to pizza yeah certain counties have received the authority rush county certain, never did, did. henry did county did henry county does yeah uh and what has happened is that the state has essentially s- determined that there's going to be a sunset in yeah. 20, 20 20 years so t- 2042 yeah. correct did that, did but it pass to the house it's it's, it's passed done. and it's, it's done. done uh it could be undone but it's been passed but what it is the state's website is not up to date it's still it's still <laughs> there uh but it's now going to affect bonding capacity. So even yes. though you have it still for the next mm-hmm. 20 years for, for Henry County, it essentially drops down the ability of this committee in future projects. Correct. Because it doesn't, well, it sunsets in 2042. So, you know, if, if you know, you're going to do your bond, if tw- you're gonna do- 2042 sounds like it's forever away. And but then you say not, 20 not years, in, not in the life of a bond. And I want to kill myself at that point. Cause I'm <laughs> not that old Dakota. <laughs> So, you know, you can still do it. You can still do your projects. Just make sure that the bonds are paid by right, 42, 42. Yeah. 
Do you have any thoughts? Are, are you happy to see happy to see the sunset, or do you think that it's taken a tool away from the locals? Um, it, it I think it happened kind of quietly at the state level, but it got some attention in in Henry County, but obviously not enough to make it make a difference in this cycle. Have they given any indication as to what they're going to allow counties to use in place of that? And straight up, I haven't read all that language. I, I, so I think it's just gone, right? It's just gone. It was tied, essentially, it was tied to Lucas Oil Stadium and a couple of key projects got an exemption. I think maybe some of the casinos did, uh, Orange County, but anybody else that was, you know, once Lucas Oil Stadium is paid for, just wipe the slate clean and, a, and everybody loses their extra 1%. There's a previous guest that introduced that bill. Senator Mike Senator Gaskell. Gaskell. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So that goes away. Then that leaves locals with the ability to basically only raise income tax, an option income tax or something to fund those kind of programs in the future. That essentially that's all that's left. And so you're problem, not going to raise property taxes. You're- the problem with that is, is like right now, this is supposed, this is dedicated to specific projects. I think that's a, a good thing. I think that that's a, a neat and healthy thing for a community <laughs> Like, like here, there's been a lot of community input. You know, I, I know like at my job, even I've, we've been talking about it and the projects that are proposed and things. And if I remember correctly, it's for parks and recreation. It's for community enhancement, tourism. Yeah. Yeah. Tourism. Yeah. And the, uh, the thing, if you, if you just raise the local income tax, then it's just, you're going to get spent wherever, you know, it's, it's not going to be saved up. And then put towards a, a neat community bonding project, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of disappointing. But well, and that may be an area where you can form a different commission that is like a, you know, for the for all the things that food and beverage tax would go for. You know, you can you can form something here. You and- can certainly do it on a voluntary basis. But what this essentially what they did is they were able to use. It, it started with the. Basketball Hall of Fame, and mm-hmm. they, they that's what a, built that. They, yeah. they put a one percent tax in place, and and once that was paid for, then that was those funds were then used to fund Ivy Tech, and that turned from a Chevy dealership into a, into a, a local community college. Uh, and then and you've I, seen some additions at the saddle in the Memorial Park with the Saddle Club and some other projects across the state. And I think maybe too, and or I have heard some discussion. It's kind of it's kind of one of the issues with it was that. Counties got that, charged that tax, right? Like to build mm-hmm. building A, and then it's like, oh, we'll just keep that on, and we want to do this. And, oh, we'll just right. So it's, it's a perpetual right. tax that goes on the taxpayers. You know, we're told we're but only going to do this. We're going to we- do it for this, and then it, it would it was a tax that never sunset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the committee a committee would be formed, and they say, okay, we've got this pool of money. How can we use it for good? It's like the Patriot Act uh, sticks around. So. There are, you know, and it's a it's a legitimate conversation of do you is it appropriate to sunset something like that, or should the local community say, hey, do we want to sunset this, or do we want to say, hey, we like this and the tools it's doing, do we want to move forward? The there's a there's a portion of folks in the community that say, hey, the state just took away one of our tools. Now we can't now we can't do this even if we want to. If we wanted to kill it, we could, but now we can't do that. The state did that for us. Well, you can go to LGF and you can increase your local income option tax and replace it, right? I mean, the thing I like about that tax, though, is that they put it into tourism-type projects, and then you can make the tax revenue go up 
if you properly invest it mm-hmm. and it's, 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 and hopefully by people who are coming to your town. So instead of like a local auction into income tax, which is taxing the people already live here, mm-hmm. you're hopefully shifting some of that tax burden onto people, people that are coming in. into your community. So you're bringing money into the economy and you're incentivizing that. Mm-hmm. So the recommendations they had is there was about a $237,000 investment that would have been made. It, or it will, I guess I'd, this, the tax is still there. So it, what this will be used for this time, as an example, the top scoring project was the John Jordan Arena getting enclosed, uh, which helps bring horse shows that would maybe have gone to Springfield, Ohio, or Cloverdale, Indiana, into Henry County. And then that's going to put people in your hotels. It's going to put people in your restaurants, et cetera. Well, I mean, that thing, and again, not, not being in the legislature right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, obviously... This has been used to fund a lot of really great projects. So I I would be interested to know, other than the fact that if we told people it was going to be used for this and then we continued it, right? Um, I would like to know the information on what 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 was the what was the driving force behind sunsetting it. Yep. I mean, I you know, and you yeah, can, and I think I think that was a state the state decision that was made, and I think that's where. We complain about a lot of stuff in our area. We really do. Like I, I, we have, we have seen the, we have had the, the pitchforks and the signs and the whole, the whole gamut over, over chickens. We've had, we've had fights over statues. We've had st- fights over windmills and solar. This was not unpopular with the locals. It's, yeah. it, this is, it, it's really surprising that this tax was not, was not unpopular. Well, and at uh, the end of the day, like you said, it passed now, but. You know, if that's what the citizens want me, if they elect me and that's what they want me to go to do, I'll go yeah. fight for them to get that back. All right. Because again, it's so, about what are the needs of the local people. So what I'm hearing is that you're, you're very receptive to, to listening to absolutely the folks absolutely. that elect you. You don't necessarily have an agenda of your own or a con- something that you're concerned about. You want to represent what, what you hear from folks. That's the, that from our conversation, that's the, that's the feeling I'm getting. Yes. I don't, I don't have an agenda. My agenda is to get people to start talking again, to come up with reasonable solutions to things that works good for everybody in the community. And, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy, right? And the big thing is, regardless of what we're dealing with, so I don't back down. I don't go along to get along. That is not who I am. So if I am elected, I probably won't be very popular with a lot of Republicans and I, <laughs> and I don't care because I am tired of the people not being represented. And at the same time, I can be bold for you and I can stand up for, for the citizens of this district, but they've got to give back too, because you know, I can't go to war alone. Okay. And we, and, and we, we're, we're not just fighting the battle. We want to win the war and that takes citizens getting involved. And if I don't accomplish anything else, I want to accomplish that. And we've learned enough life lessons in the last two and a half years on, you know, taxes, restrictions, freedoms being taken away, you know, all the things. We we really need to do some we we need a gut check. And there's uh there's one more area that I would be negligent in uh in my hosting duties on the on the network and chris bangle would take us off the air if i didn't ask a question of the folks running for state representative that uh, that didn't occur to me until until tonight dakota 
we we need to be asking folks about cannabis reform. <laughs> you know, I thought about that whenever I was writing the show notes. The do you have any opinion on on recreational, med, med, medicinal, or prohibition of cannabis? We've seen we can have we can we can buy cold beer on Sundays for eight hours a day, so we got a little bit of freedom back from the General Assembly, and I think you've got some uh, some. Uh, CBD oil is allowed. I mean, I assume, you know, you were, you were getting a windmill, so. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> any any opinion on the on the cannabis front, on legalization or medical or any 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 expectation of a policy change from from state representative? This this is where Custer? this is where I need the people of District 4 to understand my personal views. Go out the window when I'm a representative. Okay. So fill out your constituent survey, and you're gonna what? You what fill, you, you, you fill, fill out. You, you're gonna. You know, you meet me at Walmart at at two o'clock in the morning. We'll sit on the tailgate of the truck and have a talk. What I'm telling you is, you know, so many of the candidates are like, "This is how it needs to be. This is what needs to happen." No, my my personal opinion doesn't matter anymore. Okay, my personal opinion does not matter. What matters is what the opinion is of the voters in this district. Now, the marijuana and 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 I will have the hard talks. I will have the hard talks and I will make people talk back. So, marijuana is illegal per the feds, right? Um you obviously have two sides polarized like this. Good, bad, but nobody really sits down and has a conversation. And that's where that needs to change. Marijuana, while some people say it's a gateway drug, okay, there's others that say it's not. There are states around us, okay, that it's legal, recreational or medical or both, or just, you know, totally legal. There's arguments, well, we're just doing it for the money. We just want to get the money. We want to start bringing the money in. Okay. That may be somebody's motivation. It also may be somebody's motivation. You know, when you have veterans testifying that they would rather be able to eat a gummy instead of take Prozac and all the things they have to take to deal with their stress, we, we have to start thinking as human beings. You know, you always have to follow the money, and typically that's where we all go. And, you know, it's follow the money, but at some point we need to start. We need to start thinking like humans, and not necessarily assuming something. You know, it's not the devil's lettuce; it's you know a little gummy bear. You have people who are terminally ill, terminally ill, whose quality of life is awful, who are so drugged up. From prescription drugs to maintain the last portion, you know, a few months, weeks, or whatever their life, that they are incoherent, they're sitting in a chair drilling all day. I have seen those terminal people have family members drive across the state line, buy, buy some gummies, and come back, and that person go off the prescription painkillers, be able to utilize that medical marijuana in the form of those gummies, and sit and be able to read a book to her grandchildren before she died. And those are the kind of things that I think people need to understand that, you know, this isn't about, oh my gosh, it's marijuana. 
It's an example just like that that makes a difference in people's lives. And, and we all, we all have to consider those things. Because, you know, you talk about what's the quality of life and what's, what's, um, what's important to us as human beings. Something like that, that's important. You have to be willing to look at that. Because if you, if you tell me I am so against marijuana because it's just, it's evil, it's whatever, I want you to look at me in the eye and I want you to think about that, that, that woman who's suffering from cancer who was so drugged up on prescription medications that she was incoherent, sitting in a daze in a chair versus that grandmother who was able to get off those, eat some gummies and have her grandchildren sit on her lap read a book to them, and spend time with them before she died. So I'm sensing you're at least a yes to medical. Yes. And for recreational? Yes. All right. So we're not going to arrest, if Nancy's, our, Nancy's in charge, we're not going to arrest tourists that are going from California to, to New York State on I-70, and, and we're not going to put their Ziploc baggies on the hood of the well, car and act like a, it's a big drug bust. That's a, you know... That's more of a question for the guys that we're going to be asking to be in charge of the law here in a couple of weeks. Well, that's you for know, the sheriff's department. But yeah. if it's not a law anymore, then it's not a problem. I mean, right. I mean, come on. I mean, and, you know, and there it's, seems to be the hang up. Nobody, nobody will do anything. Because, well, it's still it's, you know, the feds haven't changed it. The feds yeah. are also not. Infor- Look the at feds, all the states around yeah, us. You've got this, 36 this states a, that have made this, this change. A, that's that's always been Governor Holcomb's excuse for why he wouldn't move on any kind of uh, marijuana reform is that it's still legal at the federal federal level. And he was going to wait on that. So, all right. Well, yeah, no, but again, I don't, I don't like back to what are my personal opinions? You know, my personal opinions don't matter after I'm elected. I have to do what the constituents want. All right. Well, we are getting to the point in the show where we start to get into final thoughts. Everybody gets a chance to to get something off their chest, uh, anything we forgot to clean up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we'll start with you, producer Zach. Is there anything that you uh, that you wanted to ask? Any part of the conversation that you wanted? Do you, anything you heard that you didn't get fully answered? Questions you might have as a as a parent and as, as a voting no. citizen? No, I'm glad you brought the marijuana, especially, <laughs> especially if you look at communities too. They're struggling with the opioid epidemic. And that that could be something that could, if you keep people from having to get on opioids to begin with, then that's a start. Because like people think about how bad they think weed will be for a community. Go look and see what opioids, which are start out as prescribed by doctor medications, what they do to some people's lives. And it's worse than, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody that's ever done anything terrible because they need their weed fix. Yeah. But <laughs> like you normally think those people, they don't really go out and do much. But it's been, been, this is my favorite time of year. I get to meet all these new people and they're, you know, thinking good things for Indiana and trying to do good things. So, well, very good. Nancy, is there anything we've, uh, if, if people want to get a yard sign, if they want to volunteer, if they want to donate, I, I, I beat up candidates for not asking for money because it, it takes, there's gas money involved. There's, there, um, you have to fund can, this stuff. I can, uh, I can give you a link if you want to send a contribution. It's P.O. Box 393. Rushville, Indiana, four six one seven three. All right. To uh, friends of Nancy Custer Committee, um, appreciating the support that I can get. Um, what was the second part of your? Question? You have volunteer opportunities, yard signs, sure. and people. Got, if people I, have my, my yard signs just came in today. As a matter of fact. All right. 
because, you know, we have a logistical supply problem in this country and everything's backlogged. <laughs> but, you know, hey. It, uh, they Facebook made in page, America? Facebook page they to were, follow? They were, they were made in America. I'm sorry. Is there a Facebook page to follow if folks want more information? They want to huh. volunteer, any of that stuff? Facebook.com, Custer Iron House 54. I just linked it in the chat. Very okay, nice. thank you. I will say, however, though, and, and some of us candidates have been discussing – um, our our pages seem to be throttled for some reason. Um, we don't get. Do you have trouble with that? Do you have trouble with big tech? With our page, it, the basically what we do is just we get on Facebook once a week now for the live stream, and that's it. Because I used to, it is weird. I used to take some time every morning, and mm-hmm. I would schedule posts to drop like every three hours throughout the day. And we would get some interaction, and then all of a sudden it just dried up, and we weren't getting anything. That was, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, we had to go through, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of accusations uh, about uh, about political censorship, and we had to do some verification. And since the time that that yeah. all happened, the uh, just pages in general, Facebook does not serve pages in general nearly yeah. as much as it used to. So it just, it became so time, like, why was I wasting my time, yeah. you know? But yeah, there's, yeah, it, it's probably been about 18 months and we just, and it's now our Facebook is, we have fans on Facebook who know that at 720, we are going to go live and that is what our Facebook is for. And because, yeah, they didn't, they didn't show people our stuff. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Anything else we need to cover on your side, Dakota? Got all your questions answered? My side? Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoy the candidate series every year. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to um, getting everybody in here. It is, you know, some more work, but it's it's fun. Um, ask me at the in eight weeks how much <laughs> fun it is. How much fun we've been having? Do but, I, have, you know, we do have, I a, have to wait for eight weeks to see if I <laughs> maybe even nine? <laughs> <laughs> in nine weeks, there's an election or a primary. Uh, but well, we have a pretty eclectic group of candidates coming in. Like there have been times where it's been like six weeks of asking the exact same questions, doing the same race over and over and over again. You want to gouge your eyes yep. out, and that that's horrible. It's broken up more. I think it's going to be more entertaining for the listeners this year than what it what it has been previously. You know, we have a really packed sheriff's race. Um, we're having the prosecutors on uh, for the first time. So that's interesting. We have a very crowded District 54 race. Um, so we'll have we'll we have, have more candidates on next week. So I think we're going to have the good. recorders race on as well. This is the this is the first of what I think are going to be three nights just focused on District 54. Uh, and then whoever wins the Republican side, uh, we'll we're going to invite them back on as well. And uh, we'll have Nan Polk with, Nan Polk. with the uh, who will be the Democrat candidate once we get to the fall. Uh, it's a long and winding road to get to get to the November ballot. Nan um, looked out she didn't have to come on this early in the year. She's Nan, got a lot more time to prepare. Nan's been a guest before, uh, wearing another hat. Everybody in small town Indiana, everybody has seven jobs. Mm-hmm. Nancy's, Nancy's described about three of her responsibilities already tonight, uh, and potentially she's going to add one more. But yeah, we all <laughs> we all have multiple organizations we're a part of, and that's just the way it works. Um, I will I will put it. A, a, it sounds like. If if Nancy Custer is our representative, it's gonna it's gonna take citizen lobbying to get uh, to get things done. So I'm gonna remind her just like I did uh, Representative Saunders 
that Indiana is one of only uh, eight or nine states left that still has a straight ticket voting. Uh, and he was kind enough to uh, to use one of his bills to uh, to carry to carry that eliminating that from the state of Indiana. Uh, I'm still hopeful that uh, that we can we can get that done and Indiana can come out of the dark ages because there's some there's some rough history there and it doesn't help the political process. They always got killed in committee, but he tried. Yep. Um, we appreciate you very much. This is this has been a, a wonderful conversation. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed yourself and we uh, we we did okay. Good. Yeah. I- I guess the thing that I want to leave voters with, because you know everybody's like, "Oh my God, she's for medical marijuana." That'll that'll be the thing, right? Yep. <laughs> what I want I, you? I don't. I don't think that's the thing at all. I think we spent a lot of time on education, economic development, land use. What who, I want? Who is so? Who is still concerned about medical marijuana t- in this day and age? A lot it's of people. Twenty twenty two. A lot of people. How long ago was Cheech and Chong made? Well, but see, here's <laughs> the conversation. Thing, and this is the whole point of why I want to run. Nobody has discussions. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> we're tor- well, but, we're but sitting around talking right we now. We are, and and I want to come back and do this again, and because I think it's important that there are people who are going to disagree with all. You know, we're all going to have difference of opinion. I will represent you as a district, but you always have to be able to really look at something, put yourself in the other person's shoes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you're talking I mean, about the people who would benefit from it, the, you know, it just veterans groups. I, I know that uh, Jim Lucas is one that always carries his torch <laughs> brightly into the general assembly every year. And he always talks about like um, a, a girl that a little girl that he knew with epilepsy. And yes. They moved from the state because uh, cannabis was the only thing that they found that actually worked for her, and it took her off of like eleven different medications. We actually, I know, I know a family from Northern Rich County that that happened to six, seven years ago, and they had a child that was six years old, epileptic. They moved to Florida. Yeah. So I mean, uh, it's it's sad, but it's <coughs> so not we're losing, that uncommon. You know, yeah. Yep. You're driving. You're literally driving citizens away. Uh, and, so and they by the way, boards in Northern Indiana. That are advertising pot shops. I mean, let's face that it. That tell you how how many miles it is to the Michigan border. Exactly. Pro- Prohibition doesn't stop <laughs> Ex- anything. Exactly. It just drives people underground, and it it it's doesn't the reason, need to be a black one, market. One of the reasons why we have to build all these new fancy jails, right? Rush Rush County just got a jail. Hancock County is getting a brand new jail. Henry County's building a new jail, and I'm not sure what Shelby County's plan is, but I would not be shocked if they've also had to had to had to do it. Um. With that, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You guys will, you know, the, the voters will, I'm open, I'm transparent, I'll debate with you. At the end of the day, and, and if I do debate with you, it's because I want all the points brought out there so we can make good decisions and not maybe get stuck in our own bubbles. Um, but I will represent the people of the district and I will stand up for you. And I don't, how much time do I have? Oh, you, you pick. When you're done, we're done. <clears throat> okay, so... You talked about COVID. We talked about school closure, you know, closing down the country, closing down the state. So we believe, and me, you know, myself as president of the board, but our entire board believes in parent choice. And they're your kids. You're their parent. You make the call. So when we got ready to start this school year, the mask mandate was obviously still in force. And, uh, the governor issued this executive order and, you know, we were, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? The kids are coming back to school because we'd been out the previous year, right? 
Mm-hmm. So, in his executive order, 20 39, so it talked about kids coming back to school and it talks about the social distancing. And this is where it is so important for voters to pay attention, to, to read the laws, to read the language. Okay. So when you're looking at this executive order, yeah, it says the kids have to be masked and social distance six feet, you know, got to wear masks. Right. And everybody's like, okay. But you know, then as that went on, right, everybody's getting tired of the masks, you know, and, and we just had a recent thing where, where one of my opponents was like, a parent had contacted them and we want these masks off these kids. And they start this bigger, we're going to take, let's start a petition. Let's do a rally. Let's take the masks off the kids. It's kind of a day late and a dollar short because, you know, well, the Ukrainian war started and COVID ended suddenly. Yeah. But um, it ended because of the State of the Union address. So anyway, the the mask mandates were already on their way out. I will tell you that. I when think a this, large Labrador just died above us. I don't know what happened in the apartment. <laughs> when this when this executive order came out, and you know, for the people that wanted to complain that the governor was being restrictive, did anybody bother to read the executive order? You know, there's exemptions, right? Okay, so we looked at the executive order, and we knew that parents, you know, some parents wanted their kids in masks, some didn't. So every every school in the state went with. Well, we've got to keep the kids masked because we got to follow this mandate. If we don't, we don't get our money. Not true. And you could have gone with this mandate because when it talks about the classroom settings, you know, it, it gives the it gives the rule, gives the mandate, but then it gives exceptions. And under exceptions in classroom settings, um, it says where a classroom or place of instruction can be configured so that all students can maintain at least three feet of social distancing from one another at all times and where students are positioned to face the same direction, face coverings or face shields do not need to be worn during the in-person educational instruction by students. Instructors must wear a face covering or face shield unless the instructor can maintain a six, can maintain six feet of social distancing. Now, so they didn't actually need it all the time. What, what, yeah, what is, what, so what does that mean? So, like, lots of teachers set their, their desks up in pods. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, if you think of it, if you got a kid in a desk and they got to be three feet, not three feet between desks, that's not what it says. Three feet Re- between the kids. Three feet between the kids. They got to face, so we're going to go back old school. Everybody's mm-hmm. desks are in a row, facing forward. And that's exactly what we did. And we sat the kids in the chair in seats. You put the kid in the desk. You put the next kid in front. You put a yardstick on the tip of this kid's nose, center to center, to the back of the other student's head. You know, you had to move desks like two inches. Now, had teachers been told? Had administrators who had had classroom teachers because they are amazing? Had you told them all you got to have is three feet? Between the kid, move your desks, and they had to move desks two inches to make that happen. Do you not think the teachers of this state would have been like, "I'm reconfiguring my classroom. I'll be done in twenty minutes." Yeah, you know, I'm moving my bookcase out. Deal with this drama. Anymore. Exactly, yeah. but they weren't given the option. 
They weren't given the option because because what was what was presented was the main part of the executive order, but the exceptions were never written. Right. I read everything. Everything. And and I and I do the same with legislation. And we have to do that as citizens. You know, and, and, and that's why I say, you know, the petitions and, and it's not just local here that, that happened with, with one of the other candidates in my race, but I see this statewide get these masks off our kid. And I'm like, have you gone to school and asked the teachers if they can configure their room so the kids face forward and sit three feet apart? Cause that's all you need. Right. Well, and I think, I think a lot of this conversation is it, it's about more than just the COVID response, right? It is because it, it, this is much like when, when you run on a single issue and you get elected to a County office yes. or, or, a, or, or a, a township office, you, the the issue you care about, you can take care of that. But that is a small part of the world of the responsibilities of the office you're signing up for. Yes. So yes. The, the way you're able to apply uh, your skill set across the board and to govern is very important. Yes. I mean, like, so I had a lawmaker tell me about uh, they were sitting in an ag committee meeting. There was an urban lawmaker that was in the committee on the committee. Mm-hmm. They were talking about fertilizer tenders. Okay. And. The hearing's going on, and this the urban lawmaker stopped and said, "Wait a minute, you guys are going to have to explain this to me." I and this is a this is a committee member on the ag committee. I don't know what the only the only tender I know anything about is a chicken tender. What's a fertilizer tender? <laughs> but kudos to the lawmaker for asking yeah, for having the yeah. conversation for having that conversation because um, you know, and then and this this is what is is good about. What I want to bring to government and to, to represent the people of District 54, because let's let's take that scenario. And so it was an ag committee and they're talking about fertilizer tenders. Let's say it was liquid fertilizer. We're talking about that. Let's say the problem was IDEM was there and environmentalists were there saying we've had 12 spills this year. We need to pass new reg- regulations. There need to be bigger fines. You know, and people are going, oh, yeah, you know, they spilled some fertilizer. We need to, you know, do something about that. I'm the kind of person who's going to say, how did it get spilled? Did they get hit broadside by a semi or another vehicle? You know, did they not have it properly secured? Because, you know, I mean, and and those are the things. Before you go passing laws, you really need. law not followed? Yeah. Exactly. And do we really need a law to solve this problem? Laws are sometimes wonderful ideas, but eventually guys with guns have to come by to enforce them, mm-hmm. right? When you when you make it a government issue, you initiate force. And when you say, we're going to do this, if somebody says, no, I'm not, eventually the, the thing that happens is a guy, at the end of the line, every time, a guy wearing a badge has to show up and it can potentially turn violent. So you need to determine if if the state truly needs to be involved and if you need a law for that, right? Well, and I think being a good citizen and knowing, you know, there are laws that we have, like, okay, seatbelt laws. People argued about that. That's my – I don't want to wear a seatbelt. But but I think of it – my perspective that I bring to it from an emergency services standpoint, I responded to Rex. I've seen horrible things. People die. And while we're all adults and we have free will and you may or may not choose to wear your seatbelt – it's also a requirement we put kids in safety seats. And this is where I struggle as an American and supporting my constitution and my freedoms because 
I've responded to a wreck when children weren't in that car seat, yep. and it's not good. And and there's a difference between a, a consenting adult and a minor and a, and a minor, right? Yes, where they don't have the, they don't have the ability to think for themselves. Correct, and, make the right and I, you know, so I, so in that case, when that was made a law, I think that's good for that very reason. You know yep. that that there there are certain things that we have to step up as a society and as a government and protect. But not everything. Yep. All right. Well, I appreciate your time very much. I, I love to talk. I yep. will come and talk to you anytime because I'm telling you, I can take you down rabbit holes like you've never been. <laughs> well, we appreciate you very much. We we'll appreciate and you. We will. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, with a couple more candidates from this race. That's right. All right, everybody, uh, stay safe, drive safe. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you.